So you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We are in a new series looking at Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And the section of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew that we're going to be looking at is the Sermon on the Mount. Because the three chapters that we'll be looking at over the next couple of months are basically Jesus teaching his disciples and then everyone else that's listening in. And so this is an extremely, what I would say, a timely uh, series filled with rich, practical teaching that I feel like we're going to get a lot out of. Now, one person described it as this way. He said, this is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. And I think that's a good description of what we're going to be studying today. And so there's a lot of content here. And so we're going to be breaking it up into uh, probably about three months worth of sermons. And we'll look at a little bit each time as we go through. And so today we're going to be looking at chapter 5 verses 1 through 4. And the section that we're going to be looking at of the Sermon on the Mount is the the sermon here is called the Beatitudes. And the word Beatitude comes from the Latin word that means happy or fortunate. And so verses 1 through 12... We're given this title because Jesus starts out nine sentences with the word blessed. And he wasn't saying it because someone sneezed while he was preaching here. He was giving it, he was giving ways that a person can be blessed, which we are going to see is, is like a deep inner happiness. Now, let me ask you, would you all agree that we're in a society, we're in a culture that usually is more on the unhappy side by default. You know, there's some happy moments, but just a cursory look around would show us that there's a lot of happiness, unhappiness out there, isn't there? Um, I was thinking about this, how, you know, we all have our, most of us at least, have our phones. And most of us spend a lot of time on our phones, myself included. And I read one website that reported that Americans spend two hours and 14 minutes a day, not just on their phones, but on social media. And generally speaking, does social media make us more happy or less happy? Now, now sure, there's some happy parts. There's the kitten videos that my wife likes to show me that are adorable. But then there's all the unhappy parts as well. There's lots of negativity. There's fighting, there's name calling, there's strong opinions. And then on top of that, even the happy things that your pals are showing about going to Christmas, going going to France for Christmas while you can't even afford to go to grandma's house for Christmas. And you're like, why can't I do that? Why can't I get to go these things? And, And it doesn't always lead to happiness. In fact, studies showing that it leads to depression when you see all these things happening. But maybe it's not just social media. Maybe it's just the television, phones aside here. Well, the same study said that Americans watch three hours of television each day. And I would dare say that about television, that not all of it is, or not much of it is very uplifting. The news is designed to grab your attention, but in doing so, it's to make you, it's also going to make you nervous or anxious or angry about what's going on to, so that so that you're more engaged in it. Many shows that we watch are going to lead to the same feelings. And so all of this to say 
that it is easy to become unhappy in the world that we live in. Now, I don't want to sound like an infomercial here this morning, but what if I were to say that there's another way? What if I told you that Jesus has laid out some principles that if followed, it would lead your life in the direction of having much more contentment, a much deeper contentment than the world offers. And that's what we're going to be exploring today. How do we find happiness in a sad world? So to begin, I'm going to go ahead and read all four verses or the first four verses. And then next week we'll continue on uh, in the Beatitude section. So let's look at Matthew chapter four, verse uh, chapter five, verse one. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So at this point in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is growing more and more popular. In fact, at the end of chapter 4, Matthew says that great crowds were following him. Because of seeing his teachings and seeing his authority and seeing his, the miracles that he was performing. So Jesus takes his disciples, and it's not just the 12, because at, at, that, that, at this point, not all 12 had started following him. But then on top of that, there were others that were not the inner, like the, the part of the 12 there. And so it was more than just that group, but he, starts, he takes them up to a mountain with a large crowd following behind. And this isn't like, a, uh, like Mount Everest type mountain. This is considered more, more likely like a group of hills. And he takes them up and he sits down his disciples and he begins to teach them. And it's sort of the equivalent of what happened on Christmas Eve, at the Christmas Eve service here. I brought the children up. Actually, it was Mr. Bible Man, but uh, I brought the children up. And they all sat down there, and, and I read the Bible story to them, but everyone else in the crowd was listening in to the teaching. And, th- and that's basically what's happening in the Beatitudes here, that the disciples are being taught while the crowds are listening to everything that's going on. And so the, the sermon is first and foremost, this is important to, to realize, The sermon that Jesus is giving is first and foremost to close followers. In other words, what Jesus is giving here is not a, what we might call a salvation sermon to the unsaved. It's instruction to the saved. And to put it another way, the sermon on the Mount is discipleship material. And so if you right now are struggling with your faith, if you're not growing then the words that you're going to be reading over the next couple of months here and and what we'll be looking at today, these are words that are going to help you grow in your faith. And so I'd encourage you, let's pay extra close attention to them. So before we go any further, we need to talk about the word that keeps coming up, the word blessed. And I already said that it's a deep happiness here But as the band uh, Boston says, it's more than just a feeling, more than a feeling. One theologian describes it this way. 
He says, blessed is a state of existence in relationship to God in which a person is blessed from God's perspective, even when he or she doesn't feel happy or isn't presently experiencing good fortune. So it's not that if you do these things, you're always going to be happy because the emotion happiness is a fickle emotion. It can be fleeting, can't it? So if you do these things, you will be blessed in the sense that you will be living in a way that God approves. And one way that, that I might paraphrase it is God is smiling upon you, that you're blessed in that way. But as we're going to see, having the blessing of God on your life is the way to longer lasting contentment and happiness. Not always. Not immediately, but from an eternal perspective, you will be happier longer when you follow after God's ways. But let's narrow this in to just during the time that we're here on this earth. While following God doesn't equal happiness all the time, I'm going to propose to you that not following God doesn't equal happiness either. And what seems happy at one moment doesn't often bring lasting happiness. About two weeks ago, um, I was reading a biography. I love reading biographies. And I came across one at the library about a musician named Dave Grohl. Now, you have to understand that I grew up in a Christian home in a youth group that, that did not listen to secular music. And so I grew up listening to Christian music and Broadway music pretty much my teen years. So I had never heard of this guy, uh, but I, I found it an, an interesting story. He started out as a drummer in the 1980s. And many years later, he would go on to form as a lead singer, uh, a band called Foo Fighters. But in between that, he became the drummer. Before he became famous with the Foo Fighters, he became the drummer of a band called Nirvana. And even I, only listening to Christian music and Phantom of the Opera, knew about Nirvana in the 1990s. And the band's lead singer of Nirvana was a guy named Kurt Cobain. And the biography talks about, because he, Dave had a, a, a really a, a right there perspective, a um, firsthand perspective of what was going on, watching everything. And he said how Kurt was a gifted musician and, and a gifted songwriter. And because of that, the band grew popular very, very quickly, and it became very influential in the alternative rock music. And then Wikipedia lists them as the best, one of the best-selling bands of all time. So they would go on over the years to sell 75 million records. And some of those were... Uh, after the events that I'm going to talk about, but still, they, they became hugely popular. And they found fame and respect and fortune. And for a musician, I would say that that's probably ever every aspiring musician's dream right there to become a popular band like that. Kurt ended up marrying uh, a popular musician and actress. He even had... Uh, he, 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 he had money and he had cars and you would see from, it looked like from the outside that he had everything, but at the same time, he had nothing. You would think that he would be the happiest man in the world, but instead he was miserable 
all the time. And he turned to drugs and he was in and out of rehab. And then eventually at a very young age, really at the peak of popularity of Nirvana, he committed suicide. And church, success, money, fame, men, women, none of these things guarantee happiness. True happiness comes from something deeper. Happiness in the long run is found under the blessing of God in your life. And that's what Jesus is teaching about in these verses. And so we're going to take a look at the, at the first two that I already read of the nine ways that Jesus says that we're blessed. And here's the first one, that a blessed life comes from an attitude of humility before God. Again, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to be poor? If you're poor in money, then you're lacking sufficient funds to provide for your needs. And so if you're poor in spirit, then you're lacking the ability to provide for your own spiritual needs. And so in other words, it's coming to the point where you realize you can't live life in your own power. That's what being poor in spirit means. It's having that humility in your life. The 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous starts with this idea that that you, you can't do things in your own power. But they didn't create that idea. They didn't come up with it. This is borrowed straight out of the Bible. Because you see, being a Christian is admitting that you can't live life on your own. When you give your life to Jesus, you are signifying that he knows more than you do, far more than you do. That you're incapable of getting God, getting to God, and living eternally in your own power. But the problem for for many Christians is that we start out that way. We we come to God. We give him our life. But at some point along the path, along along the process here, we start to veer away from dependence upon God and continue along a path where we start to put more and more emphasis in ourselves and lose that humility. So things start to go well. Life goes well. And we start to rely more and more in, on our own power. So I want to give you a few questions to think about, to decide if you rely more on God or more on yourself. Here's a few questions. Do you spend quality time with God each day? Are you obeying his commands that he gives in scripture? Does your pursuit of happiness come out of the things of God or the things of the world? Or another question would be, are the fruit of the spirit developing in your life? Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, and so on. And if your answer to any of these is no, then most likely you have either a pride issue or a self-reliance issue. And Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is for those who are poor in spirit. That being part of the family of God, by its nature, 
is dependence upon God, not yourself. And so every day, let's make sure that that we're not striving in our own power, but that we're striving under the power of God. One more last thought about this. Um, When we look, say we're driving through Manchester and there's someone out on the street asking for money, it's a number of different words for that type of person, but one of the words is beggar. And from a spiritual perspective, I want to propose to you that that's what every Christian should be, that we are spiritual beggars who can only survive based on the grace and mercy and kindness of Jesus Christ. And so let's have that attitude before him. Second way that we live a blessed life here. A blessed life comes from having a sadness for your own sins. And he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning does not refer to just always being sad. Christians can sometimes uh, be a little too serious and a little too sad. The, the great um, preacher from England, Charles Spurgeon, once observed that he said some preachers that he had known appeared to have their neckties twisted around their soles. And by the way, that's why I don't wear ties very often. And there's another uh, guy, uh, an author, Robert Louis Stevenson. I read he wrote Treasure Island and Dr. J- Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And he once sarcastically said, I've been to church today and I'm not depressed. But sometimes we go and we, and we think that oh, if, if we're serious about Christianity, we have to be, we have to look serious or we have to look concerned all the time. We have to look sad and God's not calling us to look sad all the time. And in this passage, what Jesus is getting at is the mourning over our own sin and the sins of the world. So a mark of a true of a mature Christian is that he or she has a hatred or sadness for sin in their life. So their sin bothers them. It causes them to mourn. Now on the contrary, a mark of an immature Christian or possibly even not being a Christian at all is a person that is not bothered by his or her own sin. And I want to encourage you, don't be satisfied with obeying God just some of the time. Keep your phones turned off, okay? We'll leave it down there. Thank you. Oh, Steve, you're probably not the best person. Yeah. Saturday schedule is totally different than Sunday schedule here. Don't be satisfied with obeying God just some of the time. Now, as a, a pastor, I have the opportunity to meet with a lot of different people. And we talk about a lot of different things. There's lots of different topics for, that come up. But often, I'm involved in meeting with people that are struggling with sin issues. 
And there's usually, it, it goes one of two ways. Sometimes they're broken over their sin. And I've witnessed literal mourning over the sin that's been committed. But then there's a a totally different group. And this group, when the sin is brought up, grows very defensive. They deny, they they go on the attack instead. They they pretend that that it doesn't really impact them or or that that it affects them. And Jesus' words here in Matthew 5, 4 are so true that you are far more blessed by mourning over your sins than pridefully denying them. Because the pride is not going to change you. It's going to harden you. And a hard heart is not what you want to have before God. Lots of noises coming up, right? So Puritan pastor William Perkins, he he, uh, wrote about Uh, like a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. So I was reading it this week. And he's from the 16th century. The Puritans experienced a lot of persecution, though uh, Perkins himself didn't look like he went through an enormous amount. But, um, you know, they they went through a lot. And I found what he wrote about this particular verse pretty interesting. It's a little graphic, but I thought it was interesting. And so I've modernized some of the language here. He said, what if a man were taken by his enemies and his wife and children killed before his face, having their brains dashed dashed out upon the stones. Afterward, he was put through the worst possible kinds of torture. This man would likely feel like dying, yet he must not judge himself a castaway. But with mourning for this misery... He must labor to be sorrowful for his sins. And then he needs not fear what flesh can do to him, for he is blessed. Christ's word must stand. Let your distress be what it will. It under, if, it, if under it, you mourn for your sins. Blessed are you. So all the craziness that's going out there. And, and sometimes we use sin, like craziness in our own life to justify our actions. And Perkins is saying, no, whatever's going on, whatever's happening to you, whatever bad things happen, listen, if you mourn for your sins, then you are blessed by God. It's hard to get sin out of your life. It's uncomfortable. But if you will do it, even in your worst days, then you can be blessed. So as I start to wrap up, um, I want to stop for just a moment and give you one more reason why the Sermon on the Mount and really the Beatitudes here are important. And the title of the sermon, as I've already said, is How to Find Happiness in a Sad World. And as I've already said again, Following these words leads to a deeper, more satisfying, longer-lasting happiness. But I want to admit that the the title that I wrote down there is, is really just to grab our attention. Because my main goal is not that you would just find happiness. The Beatitudes are not the gospel in the sense that they're uh, showing people how to be saved. 
The Beatitudes lead us toward a lifestyle that becomes more like Christ. And so if you will truly pursue these traits in your life, then you will become more like Christ because the Beatitudes show attributes that Jesus had in his own life as well. For example, and if you're writing, get right quick, because I'm going to the next point right now. For example, Jesus modeled what it meant to be poor in spirit. Even though he was... Uh, Even though he was God, he was totally dependent upon his father. And he modeled this constantly by spending time with his father, by obeying his father, by rebuking any attempt that the devil made to to try to distract him from doing what the father told him to do. But on top of that, Jesus also mourned. He didn't mourn for his own sins because Jesus is sinless. But he mourned over the sins of others. Nancy Alcorn uh, recently passed away, but uh, she wrote, Jesus felt the horror of our sins, and we do not acknowledge this enough. He also bore our suffering, which are the result of the curse. He has suffered my fears, my pain, my loss, my cancer, my grief. My disappointment, my loneliness, my struggle, my weakness, my bitterness, my shame, my anger. He has surely done this for me. And Jesus grieved so much also when he went to the cross for our sins to get rid of them once and for all. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to not lose sight of, yeah, pursue the happiness that's in the blessed life. But don't miss out that this is the the main goal is to grow, to become more like Jesus Christ. And pursuing these beatitudes will lead us in that direction. And that right there is the ultimate goal, to be like our Savior. And so... For some of you, maybe you need to show more humility at the beginning here and give your life to him. Maybe you've never made him your Lord and Savior. And so I want to encourage you today to ask him to be the Lord of your life. And others, many of you here today, if you've ventured to church on a Saturday, others have probably done that at some point in the past. But you need to ask God to to break down the pride That's dominating parts of your life. And then for others, maybe you need to ask God to help you mourn over the sin in your life that isn't bothering you right now. None of these in in the moment will, will make us feel good right then. But if you will do these things, Jesus says, you will be blessed.